Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Blitz. It's time for the podcast that would be worthy of some sort of award if only award shows stoop so low. This is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Dave Brooks. If only. Maybe one of these years. I don't know. Some of the, the podcast awards that are out there. There's a bunch of them that are out there these days. Yeah, they'd have to stoop pretty low, especially with two guys who masquerade as those who are on the title I of this thing. I wouldn't mind having a ceramic uh, barrel scraping trophy. That'd be fine for me on the shelf, on the mantle. <laughs> That's a really, really good depiction of what it would be. <laughs> I'm Joel Hoover, and we welcome you to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, which is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. If you're in the Bemidji area or the surrounding area, this is the place to go to catch a movie on the big screen. The Bemidji Theater, they've got a lot of great stuff there, a lot of screens to be able to catch movies. They've got $5 movie nights on Tuesdays, and they also have... The snack bar there as well, which if you are not feeling comfortable about attending movies right now, is still accessible to you. You can go and you can still support the theater and get your snacks there, get your popcorn, and you're still supporting the theater, even if you may be taking those items home with you to watch the movie from the comfort and, in this case, relative safety of your home compared to just being out and about. Um, kind of depends on where you're at right now with the pandemic going on. But again, you can still support the Bemidji Theater. In fact, just a real quick economic lesson for you. Uh, movie tickets don't really support the theater. Most of, If you send $7, $8, $9 ticket, about $1 of that ticket will stay with that theater. The rest goes back to Hollywood and agents and blah 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 distributors. But the snack bar is another story. That's kind of why the candy and the drinks are slightly more on the uh, uptick side. Because that pretty much, once you pay off the candy and the soda, which is fairly minimal, that's how they make most of their profit at the snack bar. So if you sneak in snacks, you're, you're kind of robbing the theater of their stuff. But if you want to go grab some snacks, then go home. That's a great way to support the theater, actually, without even staying in to watch a movie. We have a very timely episode for you today. In terms of our main topic, it's perfect with Valentine's Day coming up uh, less than a week away from now. But we also are recording this on the day that the Oscar nominations have been announced. We're They've, just kind of reading them right y- now as yeah. we are starting the podcast, yeah. less than an hour ago. Dave was was reeling them off for me when I got in this morning and was getting everything set up for the podcast. He was going through a lot of the, the main nominations and giving me a rundown of what that was looking like. So overall, Dave, uh, there are a few movies that have, have really stood out. And I believe Year of the Dog is is the one that in particular is is standing above in terms of number of nominations. That's the that's it's not. Would you call it a frontier drama? It's kind of it, you got to remind me of this movie. I, I have not seen it. Well, it's it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, and it takes place. I think it takes place in Montana, or it takes place somewhere in in the Prairie Lands. A little bit is is where that one is. But anyway, twelve nominations is that what it ended up? 
drawing. Yeah, it leads the pack with 12 nominations. You know, the one thing about this pandemic is when I do go see a movie in the theaters or something brand new comes out streaming or whatever the case, you kind of choose your battles. You know, normally I'd be going to see, I heard great things about this movie. I think I'll go see it. I got to choose my battles lately. So some of these movies I've seen and heard, and most of them I haven't. I kind of want to see this. I only got to see Ghostbusters, uh, the new one, when it came out on DVD, because I went to see it at the theater, and it was already yanked barely a month after it had come out. So well, it's for the- Power of the Dog, by the way. It's Power pow- of the Dog. Yeah. We, neither of us have seen it, so yeah. So you can, tell, you can tell. It's the thing with the dog. No, the power of the dog. You even got the title of the movie wrong, yeah. so, which is always kind of a, a and vice it's, for me. It's, it's a ranching movie there is you what go. it is yeah so yeah belfast coda don't look up drive my car dune king richard licorice pizza nightmare alley power of the dog and west side story those are the 10 nominated for best picture for the 2022 academy awards which will be at the end of march yes and cumberbatch playing one of those rancher roles in power of the dog is also up for for best actor as well not a surprise. Will Smith uh, for King Richard is yeah. also in in that list. There were a few others. Denzel Washington, I know, is up for the award this year as well. Um, as far as Best Actress, among those who were nominated is uh, Kristen Stewart for her performance as Princess Diana in Spencer. That's among the list of those who who stand out on that that nominations list. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we just kind of got a chance to peruse over them here, and uh, a couple of nice ones. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is up for best act, uh, supporting actress, actually. So that's pretty cool. Judy Dench is up for Belfast supporting actress. That's pretty cool. Uh, kind of J.K. Simmons. He's already won an Oscar. So being the Ricardos, I love him. Whether he's doing something over the top like you know J.J. Jameson and the Spider-Man movies, <laughs> or you know uh, what was the Drumline movie that he was in where he won the Oscar for Whiplash. He's good. Yeah, he's oh, good in everything. Man. Whiplash. He was he was incredibly intense. Like oh think, yeah, think the intensity of J.K. Simmons to the max on speed. I mean, yeah. Oh man, him and him and um. Oh man, I, I'm Miles seeing Teller. Miles Teller. Yeah, they. Seeing the two of them in that movie, like him going at it with Miles Teller, that that's a tough movie to watch. Like uh, thinking back to when I watched that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, just just really rough." But he he really gets into it with his performances, and then and then he's so nondescript in the farmers com- the farmers ins- insurance commercials. He's like Jameson pulled back a little bit. Well, you know, we we saw it, we covered it. You know, I love the fact that you got an Oscar winner who's not above doing State Farm insurance commercials, and he rocks at them, so that's cool. Or Farmer's Insurance. Yeah, yeah. I like going back and seeing older movies, and then here's, there he is, and I, at the time, I didn't even know who he was. He's in The Ref, which is mid-90s. He was in that Bruce Willis terrorism movie, The Jackal, and you barely, you, this is when you didn't know who he was. And then you go back and you watch these movies for the first time in a long time. That's J.K. Simmons. Look, oh, cool. Yeah, it's fun to watch stuff like that. Yep. Guys with gals working their way up. So, as you can tell, uh, neither of us have watched Power of the Dog, especially since I got the name wrong right away there yeah. off the start. But 12 nominations, that that leads the field. Um, yeah, I heard I heard Don't Look Up was going to be in the running as well. A lot of people had said that that was a really good one for That's Netflix. the only one I saw. The, the only one. That's the only yeah. one I saw. I don't think, I haven't seen any of them. Actually, well, some of them now, the, the, you know, what constitutes a movie is the debate that's still on. Well, if it's not in theaters, it's not a movie. 
I get that. And there's there's not that that's wrong. It's not that that's right. It's just a perspective. But things like Don't Look Up, for example, that was Netflix. I don't know if this movie ever got into a theater. It very well could have. Um, but it was a Netflix movie. And some of that is okay. Some of that not so okay. I still haven't seen Greyhound, the Tom, Cru- the Tom Hanks World War II submarine movie, because it's Apple TV. And it's not been released anywhere else. It's still exclusive to Apple TV, and I don't have Apple TV, so I don't get to watch it. You should and, do the free trial so you can both watch that and then binge watch Ted Lasso. Sure, but what happens when the next great movie that I really want to see comes on Apple TV and my you know subscription preview is over, then I have to buy it. I don't want to do that. I think there should be a window of like a year. Just like you know, movies on the theater, if you want to see it, you got to go to the theater. And then after roughly six months is what it used to be, it's out on DVD. But now all that's changed. Now it's like two months after it's out on theaters, it's on DVD. There needs to be a window of this stuff. I get it that you know Netflix makes Stranger Things. I get it. But now it's been you know years since the last season came out, and it's not available to anybody that doesn't have Netflix like on the DVD or something. Uh, it just hasn't happened yet. There needs to be like after a year – it can come out so that anybody can see it on other platforms or on DVD or whatever. I think Stranger Things has been released in that way. The first two seasons, but not the third. Not the third. Not the third, not yet. And the fourth, you know, kind of got delayed with the pandemic, so it's coming sometime this year. I wonder if they'll do that with the third once the fourth one is actually released. Could. Hopefully, anyway. TV shows are a little different, but movies, get Greyhound out. It's been out and, you know, quote-unquote, been released for over a year. And if you don't have Apple TV, you can't see it. Come on, guys. Open it up. I agree. It would be nice, yeah, rather than just locking it in like that. Because if that's how the future is going to be, I'm not so sure I like that. Yeah. Speaking of speculating on how the future may be, we you have, to, have, we you have, have to... some general thoughts regarding another topic for today. This one is going to be somewhat spoiler Spoilers. And it's related to the world of Star Wars. So keep that in mind. But, Dave, you wanted to share some thoughts on a recent trend that Star Wars has been doing for a few years now, starting with something very significant that happened at the end of Rogue One that you are kind of wondering if it may be kind of a, a future piece of film. Well, we got to backtrack here just a second and remind people spoilers. So we are going to talk going forward here of spoilers. And like who've said right now, we're going to talk Star Wars spoilers uh, I just read something this morning, and I just saw the re- most recent episode of Book of Boba Fett. It's got a big spoiler to it, so if you're watching that and including The Mandalorian and haven't finished your way through it, just be aware there's going to be a big spoiler coming here. So if you want to proceed, time to cover your ears in three, two, one. Here we go. Luke Skywalker comes back in The Mandalorian, and then he comes back again in The Book of Boba Fett, the second-to-last episode, and the last episode for the first season, I think, comes out tomorrow. So we'll see if he shows up again. But the point that we're talking about here isn't that he comes back. Mark Hamill involved, yes. But the way that he came back in the last episode of the second season of The Mandalorian versus Book of Boba Fett, when they did The Mandalorian, you had a stand-in actor, not Mark Hamill, doing the motions. But then you also had Mark Hamill come back and mirror that and do the motions himself. And then they kind of did a, call it a blending technique, and they de-aged Mark Hamill, and Mark Hamill provided the voice and all this. They have since, quote-unquote, perfected this now. And they've obviously done things like this with Rogue One. You had Princess Leia come back at the very end of Rogue One, and Governor Tarkin is uh, played by an actor who at that time had already been gone 20-plus years, uh, Peter Cushing, and they brought him back digitally. Well, they don't quite look 
natural, but Luke Skywalker was a step up. When he comes back in the book of Boba Fett, Mark Hamill basically just signed off on it, and that's it. Didn't set foot on set, didn't set foot in a recording studio. It was completely done synthetically. Now, you might be aware of a technology called deep fake, where you can take somebody's face, if you get enough pictures, you can make it realistically looking, but it can also animate realistically. You really have a really hard time being able to tell what is the real and what is not. I mean, deep fake. And that's the technology they used to bring Luke back for this time. They didn't, I mean, other than old archive photos of a young Mark Hamill, that is what provided his face. And even his voice. They had enough dialogue for various Mark Hamill projects, not just Star Wars, but other things, to come up with a synthetic AI voice. You type in the script and he will say it. So Mark Hamill signs off on it. You know, that's fine. I get it. No problem. I don't look like I used to. I don't sound like I used to. You got to play with a lot of toys anyway. That's fine. So, okay. But it asks the question now. I mean, they resurrected Mark Hamill circa 1983. I mean, he's still around, but he's not like 83 anymore. What's to stop this from seeing a brand new movie starring um, Jimmy Stewart? Brand new movie. You know, it's completely synthetically done. The voice, the face, all of it. And it's an, an action train heist movie. And there's Jimmy Stewart hanging off the side of a train. What's to stop that from happening? Now, granted, Jimmy Stewart's estate, his family and relatives and descendants can say, sure, that's fine as long as we get a percentage of the money that's, you know, blah, 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 sure. But then what's to stop this from being like an all-time battle royal, like, you know, like Death on the Nile's coming out here pretty quick. It's got an all-star cast. Who's to say the sequel might not feature the greatest stars of today and yesterday realistically brought back? I mean, you can understand the appeal, but at some point, hold up. There's a line from Jurassic Park that keeps coming back to mind. Mm -hmm. You had all these abilities and all these tools and all these things that could let you do it, and you could have. But nobody stopped for a minute to stop and think whether you should have. Thank you, Dr. Ian Malcolm. Yeah, and I I get the whole de-aging Mark Hamill thing because this is around the time just after Return of the Jedi This was 30-some years ago. Mark Hamill doesn't look like that anymore, nor would anybody 30 years later. So you want to de-age so it's consistent with the timeline. I get that. But resurrecting people that aren't around anymore, at some point, I I get the whole thing with Moff Tarkin. Could it have been done with somebody else? Yeah, it could have been. So this is where we have an interesting debate to bring up. For my day job, I'm the sports director at KBUN here and and just at, at Paul Bunyan Broadcasting in general. And so I like to listen to to sports talk radio a bit. And you know what's funny? One of the shows that I listen to out of the cities with KFAN is is Bumper to Bumper with Dan Barrero. And I remember, I think back last year, I was traveling down in in an area where I was able to pick up KFAN as I was driving to a game. And he brought up this topic that had come up with people's voices who have passed away and how loved ones... There's technology now for loved ones to be able to get to get their voices to be able to to bring to quote unquote bring them back using their voice in in the same the same manner Dave that you're describing with the technology you can bring them back using their voice and using that same kind of technology to computerize their voice saying these different things that you want them to say and even even having AI be able to perform all of this and he brought it up in in kind of a, a satirical way with how he talked about it, and yet also to raise the question of ethics. 
that comes with it as well because it is an inevitable question of ethics. And even if the estates of these various people get involved, like let's say like you're you're speculating that that you're purely speculating right now on all of this, but but it does raise some significant ethical questions for the future. It, I mean, again, it doesn't mean this is actually going to happen in the future. But it's starting to. But it's but it's very possible, is what you're saying. Like, and it, and it's totally true. Like, this has come up with with bands and with singers about the possibility of holographic images of these people appearing. You know, a few years ago at the Super Bowl here in Minneapolis, there was a question of, will we see Michael Jackson in holographic form at the Super Bowl? This year, I saw a prop bet when I was putting together our funny list of ones that we do for for my show and, and we make picks on them is, Will Tupac be appearing at this year's Super Bowl in holographic form since it's in Los Angeles? And there's there's a bunch of rap and R&B and hip-hop performers who are going to be there. Will Tupac end up showing up in holographic who form? Who is no longer with us, for those of us not playing the home game. Correct. Right. So, it's all about ethics. And I think it, it's a major, major question of ethics here. And one that I don't think has a very easy answer to it but one that, that makes you kind of cringe a little bit when you consider the possibility of perhaps somebody who has passed on being used in that way to be able to fuel new content. There's some things that I can understand that have already been done like this way long before. Like, say, I'll give you one example. Uh, Oliver Reed died during the filming of the movie Gladiator, and he's the basically the guy that bought these slaves to fight as gladiators in a short you know, run. But he died during filming. Well, they ended up having these body doubles and digitally recreating his face and altering what the script was because they had to film without Oliver Reed around to film the rest of his scenes. So, well, why would they do that? Why not just recast the role? Because it's way more expensive and it takes way more time and the availability of other actors to stretch out, you know, refilming scenes just so they can have a different actor. And for insurance reasons, it was a lot cheaper also to just do this with the permission of his family and so forth. To, can we recreate him to finish this part that's mostly done? And it turns out, well, you can't really point out where it's done unless you're really looking for it. And it was a pretty good role, and it was a pretty good movie. It won Best Picture in 2000. And so we, we move forward. I get that. Brandon Lee in the in uh, the the Crow, same exact thing. They had to find a way to finish it because he wasn't around to finish it. Um, so I get that. But just to totally resurrect somebody that isn't around anymore, I, it is an ethical kind of a thing. I think it's sort of a, a level of artificiality. Yes. And I mean, it's like that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Sixth Day, where you you reclone your pet because you don't want to get a new pet. So it's a clone pet. It's kind of creepy in a way. I don't say one way or the other whether I'm for it or against it. I'm not really totally sure. I think it depends on the situation, I think. But overall, you could see where people that only look at dollar bills could say, oh, yeah, we're going to have the ultimate. Everybody's in it. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Peter O'Toole, and they're going to sword fight. And Peter O'Toole isn't around anymore. You know, At some point, this gets can get. Should we put up guidelines now before we really run amok? That's something to keep an eye out yeah. for in the future. Will there be guidelines related to this? 
that start to get put into place. So. I think it all comes down to dollar signs, really. Yeah. And we could probably yeah. do an entire episode on this, but it was just something I read this morning. I had just seen the new Boba Fett episode just a couple days ago. So, yeah. Anyway, something just to kind of bring up to uh, get your toast and your coffee percolating as we uh, as we start our next episode. But still some spoilers probably yes. coming because we got to talk Valentine's and romance. Yes, we have talked about rom-coms before. And apologies for the longer prologue today, but there was a lot that was on our minds today coming into this episode. Like Seriously, Dave and I pretty much plotted out our next two episodes beyond this one yesterday as well so we we've got a lot going on in our brains right now including today's topic which i i threw dave's way yesterday and he he was willing enough to to move back another idea that we have for a a podcast episode for next week or for two weeks from now so today we are indeed in ahead of valentine's day going to talk about a topic related to that now we have been down the rom-com road before it was inevitable that we were going to talk about it at some point and We've been down that road, but we're going to talk more specifically about some of the people who are typically associated with rom-coms. Yes. This all started this weekend, this past weekend, as I was watching a commercial for the upcoming Jennifer Lopez, Owen Wilson rom-com, Marry Me, that's coming out. We should probably real quick... We've already said romantic comedies kind of went away for a while. I mean, there's been maybe, what, three in the last five years? I Crazy mean, they, Rich Asians was the most notable one that I could think of yeah, over the last few years. They, they used to be a staple, and they kind of went away, and they're starting very slowly to claw their way out of the grave. And Marry Me is going to be not the first one back, but you know, it seems like we're starting to ramp things back up a little bit. So if you could do it Possibly. well, great. But yes. there were so many made for like... A couple of box tops, you know, that cheap. So this this started the road to the topic that we have for today. But I, I saw one of these advertisements for this movie saying, the queen of rom-coms is back when talking about Jennifer Lopez. And I was like, wait a minute. Is she actually the queen of rom-coms? So I typed it in to Google, queen of rom-coms. Guess whose name came up? Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts' name came up. Not only that, I got a list of the highest grossing rom-com people uh, as far as the, the amount of money at the box office that they have pulled in by being in a romantic comedy. And not just the amount of money that they've pulled in, but also it showed the average amount that they have pulled in. So, no surprise, Julia Roberts is is number one. That's That's not exactly any any shock there especially based off of what i just described not only in terms of domestic box office but also if you factor in like doing at least four movies she is actually second in average when it comes to that somebody else a guy actually tops her on that dave who do you think is number two let's just focus on number two as far as money brought in for a romantic comedy, it's got to yes. be maybe tom hanks as far as total no it's not tom hanks he's only been in three movies Probably all of them with uh, Meg Ryan. <laughs> Two of them, I, I can think of. What's the other one? Isn't there another one that was like a mermaid one from the 80s? Splash. Yeah, Splash. Would that, would that count as, yes. as a rom-com? That's okay. totally a romantic comedy. But yeah, I think then the other two would be Sleepless in Seattle. Great movie, and you've got mail. And Joe versus the Volcano, which was not a good movie, but it was a romantic comedy with Meg Ryan. It was the three that they did. Oh, okay. Where Meg Ryan actually plays three different roles in the movie. It's not that good a movie. Well, it's, it's a lot of, eh. 
It's got its moments, but overall, so, no. So who's number two? Girl or guy? Narrow it down for me. It's a woman. Uh, Sandra Bullock? No, she's number six. Really? Yes. That's surprising. Number six. Uh, if it's Julia Roberts is number one, she'll I she'll be moving up. Sandra Bullock should be moving up if the Lost City gets counted as a rom com. I think it would. I think it should. It looks like it. Uh, I, if Julia Roberts is number one, I think it's got to go to Meg Ryan then. Meg Ryan is number eight. Really? Yes, number eight. Well, who would be higher than that? I don't know. I don't know. If it's not Bullock and Roberts is already you're, number one, you're going to kick yourself. I think probably. Uh, not went on a rider. Um, no, I don't know. Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, Jennifer Aniston, number two. As far as domestic box office, total money, Julia Roberts is far and away number one. $749 million plus. Jennifer Aniston, $574 million. Number three, Drew Barrymore is at number yeah. three. I want to see what movies they're counting because... That's a good question. Aaron Brockovich is not a romantic comedy. Do you count Ocean's <laughs> Eleven? Not a romantic comedy. So how many romantic comedies, honestly, has Julia Roberts done? I can think of, um, oh, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, that's a big one. But that, honestly, and Notting Hill. Those are like the two I can think of. That's a, that's a good question. Off the top of my head. Wait, for Julia Roberts? For Julia Roberts. Runaway Bride. Okay. Is and Pretty one. Woman. Pretty, okay. pretty, pretty Woman. Pretty Woman get probably See, over the top. you start to piece a few more together. Yeah. Okay, so who do you think the highest ranking man is? He's at number four. Who's who's at number four? The guy. Oh, wow. who's the highest ranking person? Number four overall. But I I think if it, if I didn't know the list, I I would probably think of two people right away. Tom Hanks has got to be in there. No, Tom Hanks is way down the list. He's like twenty four. Wow. Although his average his average is pretty high, an average of seventy four million per. Okay. Well, I, you know, I think we got to look at what movies are being counted on this list that you're talking about. Like Larry Crown, he and Julia Roberts together, but by all accounts, I haven't seen it. It wasn't very good. Um, it's really about the chemistry between the two people. It's what really makes it crackle. So who's at number four? Oh, uh, Richard Gere. I don't know. Richard Gere is the second ranking man. He's at number seven overall. Okay. Uh... There, there's, there's only one other guy. Denzel Washington? No, no. I don't know. Throw it for me. Hugh Grant. He's that high? Oh, yeah. Okay. Eight movies that have been counted as as rom-coms. Okay. For Hugh Grant. 471 plus million with an average of 58 million. For a guy that was just kind of flavor of the month as far as a leading man in a rom-com, that's respectable numbers. He's had a few, though. He's been in quite a few. Catherine Heigl rounds out the top five, by the way, just ahead of Sandra Bullock. So, anyway, so all that to say, looking at that list was kind of fascinating to go, okay, who is, is quote-unquote, the queen or the king of rom-coms, and who really is successful in that? But here's the question that it begs. So why are these specific people so associated with rom-coms? Like Jennifer Lopez with this upcoming movie. Why is she so associated with rom-coms enough for those who are advertising for this to say that she's quote-unquote the queen of rom-coms, which it looks like she is not? Why are these people so strongly associated with it? And, And sometimes not even just individuals. Why are duos so associated with it because this this has been going on for a long time. Doris Day 
was the queen of romantic comedies back in the 50s and 60s, according to some. Um, you put her and Rock Hudson together, bang, you've got you've got a romantic comedy. Add Tony Randall in there as the third wheel, bang, you've got a romantic comedy. Why are these people so associated with the romantic comedy genre? I still think we need to quantify what makes these particular movies so big. What that can't just be box office. I can remember if any movie came out that was a romantic comedy, anything close to Valentine's Day, it was going to make a killing. Well, that's a great way to position a movie that isn't very good, but put it out around Valentine's Day, and you're guaranteed to make your your bank. But then no one ever sees it again after that. It's not. It doesn't live on in a home video market. You might see it on Netflix. Pass. I saw it. Heard it was horrible. Move on. You know, versus like when Harry Met Sally, which drew great box office and got great reviews and is still popular to this day. That is a great romantic comedy. That's uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, their first outing. That's a classic. But, you know, Leap Year with Amy Adams, by all accounts, wasn't that great a movie. But it came out right around Valentine's Day, so it made bank and it's still up on the list. And it maybe makes Amy Adams high up on the romantic comedy queen list. But when you really break it down, is that a deserving throne? Probably not. So you, you, I think you got to factor in what makes these movies slash actors and actresses attached to them such hot properties. You weren't saying that when Harry Met Sally was Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan's first outing, were you? Or It you, was, wasn't it? It was before no. Joe the Volcano, and it was certainly before You Got Mail. No, wasn't wasn't Sleepless in Seattle their first one? No, that was like nineteen ninety. I thought when Harry met Sally. I thought when Harry met Sally was Billy Crystal. And you're right, you're right, Billy yeah. Crystal. Yeah, I, my I bad. thought you were piecing, I thought you were piecing a couple of my movies bad. together, and you're then right. all right, I thought you were piecing a few movies together, and you were putting you were putting Sleepless in Seattle separate. And I, I Frankenstein like, it. My bad. Okay. No worries. Anyway, we both now had one here. In the, there we in go. This, in this episode. Power of the Dog, not Year of the well, Dog. Well, you see Tom Hanks anyway. and Meg Ryan in enough movies, all of a sudden you see Tom Hanks sitting in the diner and not Billy Crystal during the famous scene. Uh, my bad. My bad. Anyway, continue. So it's. Uh, I think we need to quantify what makes these good so that, you know, Jennifer Lopez, of course, has got some good romantic comedies. There's Made in Manhattan. There's uh, the, the Wedding Planner. Now there's the new Marry Me. What other movies that she's been in? Out of Sight maybe is a different kind of romantic comedy, but I wouldn't call it a comedy. Not really. I mean, with George Clooney, it's got its moments, but it's not a for real rom-com. Yeah, is that more of a thriller that I don't know. It's, it's got it's comedy suspense. to it. It's yeah. got thriller. It's got noir. It's got a lot of that stuff to it. So how do you really define it as a true blue rom-com? That's I don't a know great you, question. I don't know if you can. So does that give her a leg up when it probably shouldn't? Or like with Julia Roberts, do you call Ocean's Eleven no. a rom-com? No, no, you don't. It's a heist movie. But it's it, a, there is uh, those elements are there. Yeah, it but is. is it a romantic comedy? Yeah. No, no. So it's a comedy it's, in some ways, but it's not a romantic yeah, comedy. Aaron Brockovich, yeah. it's got comedy to it, but is it a romantic comedy? No, it's not. So, I mean, if these are being counted toward the crown, whoa, 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 I want an audit. I think this. we need to be straight up about this. But to stick close to the point of the podcast and what it is about these people that make it work, Julia Roberts, for example, let me break it down in what, what I think it is. And we'll just kind of cut right to the throat here. I like to use the expression of the widget. What's a widget? Well, widget is just a word for something that doesn't need a definition to it. It's like a MacGuffin. Well, what's a widget in this case? A widget is Julia Roberts' megawatt smile. 
and that bubbly kind of laugh thing that she does, you'll hear it throughout Pretty Woman with that megawatt smile. Wow, that just makes every girl in the theater like, boy, I want to be her friend. I want to be Kit to her character. I want, uh, I want, oh, I want to date her. She seems so bubbly. I would love to go out to the movies or sit on a park bench and just watch the, the lake with this person. She makes me want to be with him. He makes me want to be with him. That megawatt smile and it's just charming and, you know, roguish and whatever the case is, it makes you want to be them. That's the widget. And when you get that crackling chemistry like you do between Julia Roberts and George Clooney. I get that. I can certainly get that, and I can certainly see why people would want to see them together, why they put Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts together in Larry Crown. They're both such likable people, but the movie just didn't really work too well. Maybe they didn't crackle too well as a couple. Well, yeah, you need a good movie, that's, and you need a good story that's going to be at the center of what you're trying to put together as yeah. well. Yeah. So, trying to get them together, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, clearly they were a, a great duo of a widget, but, because they and, were together in three movies so but far. But at the same time, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle, for instance, was such a well-put-together movie. True. And and such a, a clever, almost almost fantasy-like concept in some ways, but it it also really drew a lot from another movie, An Affair to Remember, and made that a big part of, of the way that this movie worked as well. And, and so you have to have more elements than just the people involved, True. and yet there are certain people that, that just keep coming back again and again and again with, with some of these romantic comedies. I mean, and, it, and there's something about them. Julia Roberts keeps coming back over and over again in, in these rom-coms, and we see her quite often. We've seen, I mean, Meryl Streep has been in, you know, one or two romantic comedies. I mean, she's, she's dabbled into that genre, but she, she's been in a lot of other genres maybe more so and more often than we've seen in in the romantic comedy genre and that's just Meryl Streep yeah. for one example i mean there there are certain people who who just really have made made a killing and made it made a really good living in in those and and like you know they can be dynamite in in this genre of movie and Julia Roberts in particular i mean just had a a run of these movies that were like that i mean we've seen this with um Sandra Bullock again. She's she's been somebody else who's come up time and again. I think she's a movies. modern queen. I think she would be the queen of the rom com, in my opinion. Sandra Bullock would. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't get any complaints from my mom about that. It, <laughs> While you were sleeping is one of my mom's favorite movies. So yeah, it. it but there's just something. That, there's something about certain people that makes them work. And this this goes for men as well. I mean, Hugh Grant. It's no surprise that Hugh Grant is at the top of the list for men. Although Richard Gere, Richard Gere has had some really strong pulling power and had he been in more, I bet he would be at the top of the list. I mean, Pretty Woman, Shall We Dance, a few examples there. I mean, women love Richard Gere. They that guy, that guy has got some great looks. He's got he's got the look and there's I don't know, there's something about his manner that that works for romantic comedy movies too. He's got that that suave, very debonair kind of manner about him. Hugh Grant works for these movies in a completely different way. He, you and I, when we were planning this episode a little bit, you you described Rich, uh, you described um, Hugh Grant as this this lovable, almost stumbling kind of fellow who well, he is. is charming with his with his almost nondescript manner that he talks and the way he kind of is stumbling along trying to figure out the situations he's in. 
you see that in Four Weddings and a Funeral. You see that in Notting Hill. He's just kind of bewildered by the situation he's in, and yet it makes... And, and then when well, That's you, his widget. You, yes. He's, he's a good-looking guy. It's the widget. If, you throw this mop of hair on top that, it, that he's got as well, and it's suddenly like, oh, this guy's, this guy's charming. He's oh. got the bold blue eyes. He's got a great smile. But he, if he showed up at your picnic, he would be the type that you could, you, you could see him stealing your girlfriend. But he becomes disarming when he's he's, he's kind of you know you know st- st- stammering a little bit and he's not 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 quite sure about it. and you can see him kind of trying to fumble his way through the situation so it's disarming. I but just, if he showed I just up, work in a travel bookshop and if yet he Anna showed Scott up, is showing up and wants to date me. If he showed up with perfect English and good diction and no stammering. You'd be the one that would swoop in, you mind if I steal your girlfriend and that last time you ever see her, you know, because that's how he kind of comes across right up until the stammering. And you see that portion of him when he shows up in Bridget Jones's diary. Yes, it's a romantic comedy, but he's not part of the widget. He's the thing to get in between the widget, which is, um, um, oh, who's the guy? Colin Firth. Colin Firth. Thank you. Going after Renee Zellweger. Those are the two that you want to get together, but it turns out it's kind of Hugh Grant getting in there. So he's the wedge to break up the widget in that movie. But, you know, his widget was the stammering, the disarming, gorgeous guy. And that's just kind of the way it works. And it's funny because his widget has changed. It's changed now with time. He's become like the head cheese of some of the movies that he's been in. Like, I, I mentioned to you that he's kind of that way in The Man from Uncle. He's kind of this background guy who's kind of at the top. And he's he's been that way in some other movies now, too, where I think, his widget has changed. I think that you'd have to change it because he's not that young guy anymore. If you're How old is Hugh Grant now? He's got to be in his mid-50s, pushing 60, maybe. Uh, I don't think that really works when you're in your 50s anymore. If you don't uh, have it, have it uh, figured out uh, and you're in your 50s, 60s, you're not going to get it figured out, and it's a poor schlub. you got to get past that the same reason that you can't have uh, Molly Ringwald anymore as the perennial virgin girl who's got everything together the Edina chick so to speak but she doesn't really have it all put together well now she's well into her 50 she better have it put together that kind of teen queen comedy you know John Hughes era isn't going to work for her anymore now it might work for somebody else it probably would still work for say like Emma Stone to stay with redhead so to speak but it doesn't really work once you age out of it or move out of that kind of thing. And not just any widget lasts forever, which is why I don't think you're seeing a lot of Meg Ryan rom-coms anymore. She just, I'm not going to say aged out of it, absolutely not. But uh, something, I, I can't explain why that's the case. But at some point, the widget is no longer the widget and it just doesn't work anymore. I think with some people too, they've wanted to expand beyond that genre as well because some people have gotten attached to the genre whether it's been by their looks or their charm and they've wanted to find opportunities to be able to to move beyond it and and look for new opportunities like i just typed in ryan reynolds rom-com for an example and i mean you see that with him with in like the proposal for instance like he took his time in rom-coms but but Ryan Reynolds, it's been clear he's he's wanted to he's had other projects that he's wanted to get into that have gone beyond that genre. Whether oh, he's it's not been, pigeonholed at all. No, whether it's been with Deadpool or something comedic, like you mentioned, Free Guy earlier. I mean, he's he's started to dabble into other things and and move on into other opportunities. Matthew McConaughey is another guy. I think early in his career, he was he was a rom com kind of guy. 
who who got attached more into into that genre definitely started to expand beyond it and wanted to to dip his toes into other things. I mean, I think for some people they wanted to start out in in those kinds of projects and then move on to other things. For other people they kind of stayed in them a little bit longer or they enjoyed them a little bit more and it it's sort of some it depends people, if they've wanted to use it as a launching pad or not. Some people uh like Tim Tebow, are comfortable being a widget. They, this is what we do. What we do isn't necessarily spectacular and wide, and wide broth, but it works, and I'm going to just stick with this. I'm happy to earn my paycheck doing this, and I'm not going to push it. And there are times where you could see people that would be comfortable in that. Look at Channing Tatum. I mean, he's got a chiseled body. He's got a good look. But it turns out he is legitimately funny. So when he jumps out and kind of does, you know, Jump Street with, uh, I mean, what a, what an amazing come around. You didn't see that coming. He can do some drama, but he can also definitely tap back in, and it works. He has found a way to just expand beyond his widget. While other people, I'm just, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. This is my bread and butter. Maybe where Meg Ryan went wrong is she did Proof of Life, which wasn't that good of a movie, but then she hooked up with her co-star, Russell Crowe, while she was still married to Dennis Quaid. Now, maybe something else was going on behind the scenes and the marriage was already over, but how could America's sweetheart walk out on this hunk of Dennis Quaid? Maybe in some weird way, that kind of kills her widget. She can't be the cute little innocent anymore when she just broke up and was a, you know, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But I think at some point, the widget comes to its end. And if you don't expand beyond it, and when that 15 minutes of widget fame is over... That's it. If there's nothing else you can prove to do, that might be it. Why are some people better at rom-coms than others, Dave? Is it just because of the widget factor? Because, I mean, you could try to put some people into, into this, this kind of genre, but some people just don't, don't work for it, or maybe some people have never even tried, and it's funny to even think if it would be possible to, to swing them into, into this genre a little bit. I'll, I'll give you two examples of it. Meryl Streep you brought up. Meryl Streep is known as the thespian, the master thespian. I mean, she can effortlessly almost, it seems, do any accent. If you go look over her body of work, you know, Kramer versus Kramer, that's a tough movie to watch, but it's a great movie. She and Dustin Hoffman, they crackle, and I don't mean in a good way, their animosity towards each other, which apparently was somewhat of a method actor from Dustin Hoffman to the point where they still don't really get along because of that. So she plays these regal roles, and she seems kind of uptight, but when you actually get her in an interview and she's just being herself and she's not doing an accent, she's kind of bubbly and she's kind of fun and she's effervescent. Why not throw her into a rom-com? So when you see something like uh, Something's Gotta Give, or not, that's a, that was Diane Keaton, I'm sorry, but uh, it's complicated. There you go. You get Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin with her. She's bubbly. She's fun. And the whole point of being in a romantic comedy, especially if you're the focus, is you want to have sort of a come-hither quality. You're drawn to her. I want to be with her. I want someone to spend my time with. But then you look at somebody very, very talented like Kate Hudson, who's the real-life daughter of another rom-com queen, Goldie Hawn. Most of her roles, she has a level of seriousness to her, kind of a stern look. She could be fun and bubbly, but there's something else under the surface which might throw a little caution in there, like how to lose a guy in 10 days. She's trying to be cute while at the same time sabotaging a relationship. She's really cute in Almost Famous, but there's something self-destructive about her too. She's It's a great role and it's a great performance, and she seems like a very bubbly gal. But that was her widget for a long time, was making these rom-coms, and a lot of them with Matthew McConaughey, and now... Has she 
done a movie lately, or is she just doing athletic pants now? I think she's got. I think it's been a while since she's been, at least in in major films. She's a great actress, and she's wonderful, and I think there's certainly a role for her in romantic comedies, but I don't think she's got the whole Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan thing down. There's something that if I was a guy and I was, you know, hey, nice to meet you, maybe something could develop here. I might have a flag or two popping up. Well, there's this, and that's good, but then there's this, and then there's this. Are those make or break deals? Maybe. I don't know. This is just gut feelings here. Beats me. And then um, then you've got duos who are really good that I think just end up suiting extremely well. And I know this was this was really the case back in back in the forties, the fifties, the sixties. You would have you would have these duos on screen, you know. Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. There's a there's a real life duo that also appeared in quite a few movies together in the these comedies that also had a romantic element to them which there again is is part of the whole what's the what's a romantic comedy kind of spin because some of those were comedies that also had some romance involved too um but then like i brought up i brought up rock hudson and and doris day i mean they they're in so many movies together there's i think three four and maybe even more that that have the two of them together and then you throw Tony Randall in there as well and you just had people who were really good together and and clearly enjoyed working together because you could put them in a different movie and it's the the, the same people and yet you just give them you just give give them different names basically it's kind of like elvis presley in a driving movie or in some kind of race racing movie of some kind (laughs) it's whether it's speedway or spin out you've got elvis driving a car or viva las vegas you've got elvis driving a car and margaret yeah with ann margaret it doesn't matter whether it's ann margaret or uh nancy sinatra you've you've got you've got a movie basically that's kind of what they did with with rock hudson doris day and, and even tony randall too but it's it's the chemistry. I mean, why why did Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan make a make a few movies together? They had great chemistry. Even though it, it's funny because I, I'm sure that you got mail was able to work for them as well because in Sleepless in Seattle they they barely have any scenes together. I mean, they are together twice in the movie, like like really together, like in the same vicinity as each other twice or two and a half. Because they they pass each other in the airport in the one scene. The other scene, Meg Ryan is across the road and nearly gets hit by a truck and then runs and scrambles, gets back on the plane and flies back to Baltimore. And then finally at the very end of the movie is is when they are together and, and really together in person with each other. I mean, how crazy is that that you can make a rom-com out of that but then then you get them together in something like you got mail and and they're together and yet they're not in in that movie and most of the movie they don't like each other unless they're typing to one another right yeah but you got two extremely likable people and even in say you've got mail where tom hanks is not necessarily the good guy in a way he might you know his company might buy out her company you know, they're both likable people. So Tom Hanks can make you see him as the good guy, even if he's quote unquote the antagonist in a way. As far as Meg Ryan's character is concerned, he's the antagonist. And she's just kind of in the way, you know. So how do you make way for progress, so to speak, when this little teeny shop around the corner is in the way? 
Uh, but you you want them to be together. You want them to find the middle ground, and they keep teasing that throughout the movie when they've got this romance email chain going, and it absolutely works. But you've got two likable people also in Sleepless in Seattle that don't share time, but you want them to. You're so rooting for them to find glue and stick together and make it work. And it's funny that that came on the heels of Joe versus the Volcano, which was really not that good a movie. Yeah, it wasn't that good a movie. Let's do it again. They clearly had a chemistry there. And if we just got a better script, that would be the thing. But not every great, quote-unquote, romantic comedy is because it's got a great story. It's because you have great chemistry with an eh kind of a story. A lot of those movies, not all of them, but a lot of them, I think, from yesteryear, course that doesn't mean much yesteryear you meaning like the golden age of cinema what was the story about did it matter no but you had this guy and this gal and they just crackled together and that's all they made the story work even though it wasn't much of a story you've got to be like cary grant hello diane take a look at these swatches that's what it had to be like yeah, yeah it just it didn't it's a line from sleepless in seattle by the way for that's those true who don't know. <laughs> that's true it just it if, if you get the right people together they can make bad material watchable because they're they're trudging through it, just like watching two good people together trudge through a bad day. They're the, the focus and not all that's around them. That's something to get over and to wake, work your way through and make it work. I'll give you an example. You gotta throw, if we're talking romantic comedies and who makes them work, you gotta throw a, a definite you know bowl around around John Cusack. This guy was for a long time a widget of the angsty guy, especially in the eighties who's just trying to make his way through his weird stuff. And he's all about weird stuff. You know, he seems like kind of a, a an uncomfortable person, but soothing at the same time in a weird way. So whether he's standing outside the window with a boombox and say anything. That was the first image that came to mind when you said his name. That's the big one. But, I mean, he still finds his way through. Serendipity with he and Kate Beckinsale. I really love that movie. I really do. I went and saw it with a friend of mine, a girl, friend, back in the time, not dating, just friend. And it was such a romantic movie. We're sitting next to each other in the movie. We kind of moved apart from one another. So if you move further away, we won't look attached, you know. Okay. So, But it's a great movie, and it's kismet. You see these two likable people, and you really want them to get together, and maybe the forces of uh, love around them will find a way to get them together. Great Valentine's movie. Uh, I mean, absolutely, and there's a million more where those came from. Better Off Dead, you know. They're all out there. Um it, he just found a way to make it work, that widget. And it wasn't about who he teamed up with. He made it work with everybody, whether it was Demi Moore or Kate, and that was One Crazy Summer, or whether it was, there wasn't really a good hookup in America's Sweethearts, he and Julia Roberts. Uh, you could see that the connection just wasn't there. I don't know. Why has Julia Roberts been so successful with those movies? Because she can, I, I hate to quantify it like this, but I think she can be the ultimate trophy girlfriend when she wants to be. I think that's kind of what it is. But at the same time, she's got a strength to her that attracts the right kind of guy, I think, who doesn't want you know somebody to look good on my arm, but I want an equal. She looks good for that. She And I think I know a lot of gals that love her because she could go out and be in the wrong part of town and kick her butt all the way, and kick butt all the way back home to the safe side of town. She just has that energy about her that she could do it. Well, you kind of described, I guess, what what made her stick in Pretty Woman, yeah, and, and where the breakthrough came there because she goes from, I mean, Pretty Woman is is basically a modern, a more modern take on My Fair Lady, where you've got this this person it turned out that way. Yeah, it, it kind of is, right? I mean, in it in its essence, well. Not that I want to go down the rabbit hole here, but if you, you can Google this and learn more about it. The script 
for Pretty Woman, it's dark, dark, dark. You'd be well, to, yeah, amazing that's, that's that right. Disney even picked it up. And while they were making the movie, Gary Marshall, who's who knows how to make these movies, he. Richard Gere famously said, I don't really know what we're doing here. He would shoot the same scene a couple of different ways. Maybe it'd be dark, maybe it'd be off the page. And then it would just be do what you want to do. You know, kind of ad lib it. So he didn't know what the heck the movie was going to be when it came out. And he was amazed that it turned out to be so sugary sweet like it turned out to be. Because the script is dark. I mean, it's dark. Yeah. And it's, uh, the way they turned it from dark into what it turned into becoming is amazing. So it's hard to say that it was intended to be like My my Fair Lady, but you got to think that somewhere in there, Gary Marshall must have had that in his mind because he would, you know, kind of direct these It's a transformational kind of movie is is what it's It's what it turned out to be, but it isn't that way on the page. So somewhere between the way it was written on the script and the way that it went when the cameras were rolling... Was enough to confuse all the actors that were in it. They're like, I don't know how if this is even going to see the light of day. This is so bizarre, and the way that it turned out, it had to have had a guiding hand, almost as if it was created that way in the editing room and not on set. I think, I think what it is with her is, is kind of summed up in in the movie Notting Hill a little bit, where Julia Roberts yeah. has this this star quality. She she truly does have this star quality, whether it's with the smile or the looks or just. The way that she carries herself, she can do so in a very dignified way. And yet there's so much about her that that can become very relaxed and poised and down to earth even disarming. in some ways. And, and yeah, disarming as well. And you, you see that in that movie where she is playing this, this smashing superstar of an actor. And yet she also is, is somebody who just wants a down to earth life as well. And, and she gets that with with Hugh Grant's character, William Thacker, and her experiences with him, give Anna Scott a, a chance to be able to be a real person and, and feel like a real person rather than being caught up in the world of celebrity. And yet she is, she, I don't know, she has she has a real dynamic charm about her where, again, her, her mannerisms in some of these different movies, they can be very real and she can be, she can be, like you said, very disarming with the way she gets emotional in in roles and the way that she reacts to things, you know, sometimes like very, very, very loudly about uh, different things. It, it, there's almost, there's a real, qu- uh, a quality that feels re- very real about it. She's so that- disarmed. I'll give you an example of, of what I think you're trying to say. She's the bad guy in my best friend's wedding. She's trying to sabotage her best friend. Who's a guy and Cameron Diaz, who's so bubbly sweet in one of her earlier movies but she's still disarmingly so to the point that you kind of root for her, maybe not to succeed in her quest, but to find happiness with whoever it might be. And at the end, she's sitting alone at the table at the wedding, and yeah, her other buddy shows up, and they have a nice dance, and they're not going to get together, but it's still, it works. She, the, the, the happy couple isn't her at the end of the movie. She's the bad guy. But you're not cheering against her, necessarily. You're not rooting as her as being the evil person, so to speak. Even though she is, and the things she does are downright, you know, a friendship would be ended if you do that. But there's that thing about her that just draws you to her. You can't help but like her, even when she's doing things to make you feel the opposite. She's engaging in both a a real way with the way that she reacts to things in some of these movies, and yet also is engaging in a charming way yeah. as well. Again, like I said, with the smile and just with the way that her 
her manner can be. She she's really engaging across a large a large spectrum. And I think that works extremely well for for rom-com movies. And if you put her with you put her with the right the right guy as well, I mean, then you've got something really really good. Like with her and Richard Gere. I mean, it's worked twice yeah. in movies that they had together. With her and Hugh Grant it worked really well. I mean, just you put her with the right guy in the right role and you're going to you're going to have a pretty dynamite romantic comedy then with with that kind of chemistry. Speaking of uh, duos, one of the more modern duos these days, you got to talk about Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone between La La Land and Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, they make a pretty good pair. I would not be surprised yeah. if another one comes up at some point down the road. Uh, and they find a way to make it work. Ryan Gosling can be very disarming, but he can also be a jerk. He can do that part very well. I'm sure in real life he's a nice guy. But he can play the jerk. Crazy Stupid Love, he's kind of a jerk. He's the kind of guy you don't want to get mixed up with. And then you see him being disarmed by this sharp and funny Emma Stone. Oh, man. And then you're starting to root yep. for them to really, it's genuine. And you find you're, you know, it's his, he's playing kind of the Julia Roberts role in My Best Friend's Wedding. You're rooting against him right up until you're not. And then they find a way to make it work. And then they found a way to make it work in a much more magical way, La La Land, uh, much more uh, the traditional feel-good musical style of yesteryear where everything's sunshine and rainbows. With a twist. Yeah. On it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, Ryan Gosling, he's got these these boyish looks that I think contribute to that too. But then also with the way that he is, I think he's a little bit he can be a little bit more subdued sometimes too. He's he's like but then but then all of a sudden, bang, you know, he just he'll react to something like like in La La Land when when he gets really passionate about something and all of a sudden He's not so subdued anymore. He's he's going back and forth in an argument with with Emma Stone's character. And yeah, like you said, sharp. Emma Stone is is sharp. She's witty. She's clever. Th- those kinds of things that work extremely well. And yeah, the two of them they've got a great rapport, and they they've proven that on multiple occasions. Yeah, that that was a really good pick, Dave. As far as a, a more modern duo that's come yeah that's come along in the last last. 10, 15 years, yeah, they they definitely come to mind. I got to backtrack a little bit, go back to Ryan Reynolds here. One of my favorite, my wife's favorite, is it's a good Christmas rom-com called Just Friends. I've got to give it a little shout-out because it is a hoot. It is, it's formulaic to a point, and then it goes into, wow, I didn't think it was going to go there, over-the-top kind of fun in a way that you're not surprised when you know Ryan Reynolds. And this was a movie made before he really had the clout that he does nowadays where he will very much direct how off-the-rails Free Guy can go and how off-the-rails Deadpool can go. This was him just being hired for a job, but it's over-the-top funny. Uh, He and the relationship between his younger brother in that movie, uh, the girl that he wants and the girl that wants him, who are two different girls, it's wild, it's off the rails, and it's a hoot and a half. I love that movie. Well worth watching. Just Friends. Uh, I've seen it show up on Netflix a couple of times, but it's usually around Christmas time. So I don't see it at the moment, but great movie if you get a chance to see it. Yeah, I've seen that movie pop up before. I've never watched it. But Worth it. The name does sound familiar. He yeah. and Anna Ferris, they also had starred together in another movie where they don't get along really. Uh, it's called Waiting. It's basically if you're working as a right at a waiter in a restaurant, it's kind of a behind the scenes comedy. Uh, so she shows up, and Anna Ferris is funny in everything. She's a hoot and a half, but she's just unhinged. Think of her as if Paris Hilton sang. 
she plays that role in this movie, <laughs> who is, wants nothing more than to be with uh, Ryan Reynolds, who has no desire to be with her at all, but has a huge desire to be with his high school sweetheart. But he was fat when he was a old, younger kid, and now he's Ryan Reynolds, you know. So now he can have whoever he wants, and all he wants is this one girl. This but is, it never works out for him. This is very spur of the moment toward the end here of the podcast, Dave. But we've talked about a lot of people who fit the genre, who have been in the genre quite a bit. Can you think of one or two people who have either been in rom-coms maybe only once or twice or never at all who you would love to see give it a try just to see how they would do in a movie like that? Maybe it would backfire spectacularly, but can you think of anybody who you'd love to see give it a try just to see how they do in that genre. If we're talking true blue romantic comedy, I think Antonio Banderas has so far missed that boat. Now, he's been in movies that are romantic. There's the dancing movie, I can't remember what it is. The Zorro movies, he's great. I mean, he's the passionate Latin lover, and he's funny. I mean, if you really watch him go, he's a hoot and a half. I don't know if he's done a traditional blue, true blue romantic comedy. I think he would nail it. Uh, if you get him in the right role, he's not as young as he used to be, but it doesn't matter. If you're that fiery and that spicy and that likable like he is, I think he would nail it. I think it'd be kind of fun if he was the quote-unquote younger guy, and he's got to be in his 50s now, so maybe he goes after you know an older cougar sort of thing. I think that'd be kind of funny. He's the the young, passionate guy who's trying to get the attention of, say, Meryl Streep. I think that would be a hoot. I think that'd be funny. Any women come to mind? Uh, I you know has every woman I think pretty much done a romantic comedy to some extent. Um, maybe Jamie Lee Curtis didn't do anything like that. Maybe she's kind of missed the boat. Not traditional rom com anyway. Uh, she's always got something with a little angst to it. Even if it's uh, with, when she kind of teamed up with Monty Python for the most part and did a fish called Wanda. One of my favorites, by the way. Uh, somebody. I'm trying to think of somebody maybe current. To, to do something. I'm, I'm My mind's drawing a blank right now for somebody that I think should do one. I think they, honestly, I think they need to get better at making romantic comedies. They, I think they went away for a bunch of reasons, a lot of which it was this crap script. Eh, well, let's just throw so-and-so in there and that'll be good. It isn't good enough anymore. I think you need to come up with better ways to do these movies and then let's go from there. Yeah. That's kind of where my brain is on rom-coms these days. So we'll see if Marry Me is just more of the same retreaded after a break. Yeah, because that's part of it too is the genre needed some refreshing in some ways. It needed That's it, why I love Just Friends. It's not a run-of-the-mill rom-com. It's totally different. Free Guy. It's a rom-com with Ryan Reynolds, but it's totally different. It's way different. So I think things like that that could be a great solution to a rom-com. And not only that, we talked about the Oscar nominations. It's up for Best Visual Effects because it is eye candy all the way through it. If the genre was to make a comeback, then I think the guy, like there's a guy who comes to mind who I think it would be fun to see. Well, actually, if you put this guy into a movie then naturally a lot of people are going to go, well, you have to put this woman in there as well. The guy who comes to mind for me is Tom Holland. That would be really interesting to see him get dropped into a rom-com movie. He's gone real, it, the action route quite a bit with the movies that he's got going on with Spider-Man, yeah. and now now he's got this, um, he, he's got the, the, the movie 
Uncharted. The, the video, yeah, the video game character, yeah, Uncharted, um, that's coming out here as well. So he's gone the action route. Well, imagine him and Zendaya together in a rom-com movie. Like, take the real-life couple and put them into a rom-com film together. People would go crazy over that. Like, in some ways, the seriously. new Spider-Man kind of, they, they're action movies, yeah, but they seem to have their finger more on the comedy button than any previous Spider-Man incarnation, yeah. I feel. I mean, you would, you'd be taking the same duo from those movies, but, but put them into a rom-com type of movie. Like, those two, those two are breakthrough stars in yeah. the modern day for, for movies. Put them into a movie together and into a rom-com together, and I think you might have something going then. Yeah, they they clearly do have a lot of chemistry. They are a real-life couple, um, and they can work. Zendaya's got some on her own, so does Tom Holland, uh, not just Spider-Man. But they do make a good couple, and I think if you could uh, find a way to pace it out a little bit, so that they're not always together. The pressure's on them. Look Give at it, Kristen yeah. Stewart and Robert Pattinson. Yeah. I don't think they made a good couple uh, on screen no. or off. Those movies were terrible anyway. Yeah, I never saw them. I didn't Sorry. want to. But yeah, put Zendaya and, and Tom Holland in a rom-com in like two years. Give it two years. Maybe a Spider-Man free stretch here for the next two years. Hopefully things work out all right with them. Then put them in a rom-com in like two years or maybe like a year and a half from now. I think people would go crazy over that. I, I mean, people would be like, oh, really? How, how's that again? Have a clever, how would they be? They, <gasps> just like that. Like, get a clever <laughs> script put together. Like, in a, Give it a year and a half. A year and a half, even. Put them in a, in a rom-com with a clever script, and I think you'd have a smashing success. Like, honestly. It, yeah. People would come for that. I could see people him. People will come, Ray. I could see him being the new Hugh Grant. I could see him, he, and, and the movies that he does really well as Peter Parker and the Spider-Man movies. He's, he's a kind charming of, lad. Yeah, but he's also befuddled by all that's around him, and he's trying to figure his way out through it without letting the that's secret right, out. Mr. Stark. Yeah, I, I think it works. I think that would be a good idea uh, to get them together at the end. Who else in modern day? I mean, what would we do to maybe fix the rom com these days? I mean, because I think Free Guy is a great example. Like we mentioned, it's a rom. It's a By the way, comedy, but Hugh Jackman different. has been in a couple of rom coms. I, I typed in Hugh Jackman and rom coms, and I was like, "This looks so mid two thousands here." When I saw that, oh, 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 sorry, I fell asleep because his name came up when you were like, "Ah, people, you wouldn't really associate with it." Like he's he's very Wolverine, but it's like, well, he's still been in a couple. You know, I think some of the best romantic comedies are the ones where you're dealing with the things that couples real life deal with. We talked real briefly about Crazy Stupid Love. That movie is not necessarily a feel-good movie, but it's got great feel-good moments in it. I mean, Julia Moore, Julianne Moore sorry, and Steve Carell, they're going through a divorce, maybe. You know, they're, they're trying to figure that thing out. But, I mean, their daughter starts dating this guy that works with Steve Carell, who's a Lothario, but not the kind that you ever want your daughter to get around. And then they get together. You have uh, Julianne Moore, who cheated in the relationship with Kevin Bacon. But it has its moments where these ugly moments become funny in the way that they're shown. And I think that almost speaks more to the real life because people don't live normal lives like rom-com. Rom-com movies, the way they're mostly made, is the way that Hallmark makes Christmas movies. It's way sugary sweet. If you like There's Italian a fantastical soda, element about it. I yeah. mean, we talked about that with Sleepless in Seattle. There's, there's a fantastical element about that. Yeah. But it's also closer to reality. How many times have we pined for something? And there's also deeper moments to it. I mean, Tom Hanks' wife had died and 
he's on the radio program talking about the pain that he feels, and that's how she gets attracted to him in the first place. People can relate to that because it's it's doable. But when everyone's got the klutzy best friend, I mean, it's, it's just paint-by-numbers kind of thing. But when it's something that is <laughs> dealing with issues, if, if Kramer versus Kramer was completely redone as a romantic comedy of a way to go through a divorce, something that's outright painful and tough, but it's done in a way that is, it can show out the funny sign and you kind of laugh, cry, like Mrs. Doubtfire. You'll laugh out loud, but the underall subject is tough. It's about going through a divorce in a yeah. completely different way. You expect a big laugh at the end of the movie and you don't get it. It's poignant when it ends. Right. Things like that, I think, would be a great way to revitalize it by bringing it down to earth. Let's work our way through things that do happen in real life but find the humor in it and not in such an overly sugary Scott Williams kind of way. <laughs> Speaking of, yeah, you know, when Harry met Sally, is that what he said? That's what he said. This has gone from being about individuals to becoming a referendum on the genre in general. It's kind of funny the way sort that this is going. And not pl- I'll give you another good example of what I'm talking about. Billy Crystal, since I kind of snubbed him earlier and accidentally since Scott just I'll, threw in with I'll give him a little <laughs> I'll give him a little love. Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger in a movie called You ready? It's uh, uh oh my lord, I just forgot the title of the movie. I could see the movie. Forget Paris. There you go. It's all about a couple trying to find a way to make it work and they keep screwing it up during the course of the movie and they don't wind up together and then they do and then they don't and then they do and then they don't. And by the end of the movie, you're like, are they actually going to be together? It's a it's a funny movie. It really, really is. Very much in the vein of Harry Met Sally. Billy Crystal, I think, uh, co-wrote and directed it, so he's got a lot of his fingerprints over it. And uh, But it's also got its moments where it's sad and it's... You just feel like the wind is out of your sails, and then it fills your sails back up. It's up and down and up and down, but such is life. And movies like that, I think, would be a great solution. And I will give you a spoiler, because we did say spoilers. It will end on a high note. So it's a great movie, but it's also so like life. It's not always great, but when you can find the humor in it, yeah. So you're thinking almost like a this is us kind of manner and yet different try, but different maybe maybe not quite as as cutting yeah until there's real a ratio life. here Dra- this is us has got more drama it's got comedy much much more drama much more drama there. so yeah. it's got a pinch of comedy lots of drama a rom-com has got to be the com has got to be front and center it's got to have something dramatic would I call forget Paris a dramedy no. That's like 50-50 almost. You have to have the ratio more on the comedy side, but with dramatic, heavy undertones. Think Mrs. Doubtfire. That's a good roadmap. That's a comedy out right and center. But there are moments and there are scenes where you're not laughing. You're kind of getting a break from the laughter by, yeah, you know, and seeing both perspectives. That makes me think of Hitch. You know, Hitch works because, A, you've got very, very likable people in there who are really really funny and charming in their roles but there's also this element of the struggle of meeting people that's in there yeah. and the struggle of making that connection that's kind of at the center of it where you've got this date doctor who Will Smith plays with with Alex and he's helping he, he's helping Kevin James's character who is going for the home run of home runs and that's where again you've got this fantastical element yeah. about just thinking about him trying to impress Allegra Cole makes me laugh. But but there's this element of it's it's a guy who's who's just trying to find a way to to 
make it work and trying to meet somebody. And yet also with, with Alex, he's, he's a guy who, as much as he's doing this for other people, it's kind of covering up the fact that he's got his own baggage of the struggle to meet, to meet and make a lasting connection with someone that's sort of in his own background and that is going on with his own life. And then, then he meets this, this gossip columnist, Eva Mendez's character who, who suddenly shakes that up. And yet he's, He's not entirely sure if this is the real thing or not, but it it kind of speaks to that idea of uh, you take some things that people deal with in in everyday life, add a comedic spin on it, maybe maybe a touch or or more of the fantastical to it, and you've got something that works. You know, there's a popular book, Love in the Time of Cholera. Is it why can't there be some sort of an update, Love in the Time of COVID nineteen? I mean, what a perfect opportunity. I mean, how difficult would it be to be dating right now? I don't know. I'm married, so I don't know. But I got to think as difficult as it can be. We've gone up a couple more levels as to how difficult it can be. And you got to find the humor in where it's not so funny. Because if you look, you'll always find it. So what a great opportunity to have a movie come out in the era of the pandemic. Because uh, movies are struggling I think, I think all about this. People are tired of the pandemic, But that's though. the point. Ugh. Find the humor in it. So, yeah, that's been my life. Just like having to take the garbage out in your bathrobe or your underwear. And then you're the hot person or whoever you have a crush for. That's when they pull up in their car looking great. And you're in your schlub gub. I mean, things like that happen. Pandemics are the day of life nowadays. I mean, whether we're going out or we're hanging out or whatever, find the humor in it and then make a romantic comedy out of that in the background, but it's got some seriousness to it as well, but make it work. Same goes with using social media. I I know that's been attempted here over the last few years of being able to use dating in the social media age as well. That's, That's another part of it. I think if you lean too much on the gimmick, whatever the gimmick is, then it's not enough. You have a right. you have a two dimensional movie, but if it's a tool and it's part of something that's a lot bigger and it's well nuanced and it's layered, yes, social media could certainly be there. But when you get things like uh, let's get mail, you know, AIM at the time, America You've got uh, instant messaging yeah. was such a popular thing at the time, and very much it's a gimmick of the movie. But that's not what the movie's about. It's got a lot more nuance to it, and there's many scenes where they're not relying on all of this. Whether this couple, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, are communicating via email and it's all lovey-dovey, or they actually know each other in real life, but they don't know that that's who they're emailing with because it's kind of anonymous. They don't really like each other in real life until they start. You, you know it's inevitable they're going to come around and figure it out, and but they're both kind of in other relationships, sort of. and uh, it, it just works, but it doesn't rely on the gimmick so heavily that without the gimmick, there's no movie, I think. It would be a good way to. See, we've got good solutions. Look at us, two guys revamping the rom-com genre. What was uh, the one with uh, Garden State? That's another, but it's almost a romantic dramedy. It's, it's hard to call it. I don't think it necessarily lives as a romantic comedy. He did another one, The Last Kiss, uh, Zach Braff did. That is also more of a romantic dramedy rather than a comedy, but it works and they're, they're different. And I think he was definitely a very good widget for the early 2000s. I don't think his career is going quite as well these days, but it's not because he's not talented and because he can't make a comeback. I love him as JD and Scrubs, one of my favorite shows. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking about immediately. Yeah. It's, and that's an ongoing. I'm thinking about him yelling all aboard on the love train (laughs) 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 or going zoom, zoom, zoom. 
Who doesn't love Zach Braff? He really is good. I think I think he's definitely due for a resurgence. He's got a couple of opportunities, and I hope that it works. He's got a new Cheaper by the Dozen uh, movie remake on yeah, Disney Plus that. right now. We'll see. That movie was so not that long ago that I think it's too soon for a remake. And Steve Martin, and she, he did great with uh, Linda Hunt. And um, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Whoa, Dave and I really went down the rom-com rabbit hole Dave, do you think we have enough to talk? I'm pretty sure we do. Yeah, we were good. Located on Highway 2, just down from the airport, is where you can find the Bemidji Theater sponsoring Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Great place to go catch a movie, whether it's a rom-com or otherwise. Great place for a date, so I've heard, yeah, the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2. Thanks for joining us today. And yes, um, happy Oscar nominations day. Happy Valentine's Day upcoming as well. Um, we've perhaps given some more ideas on movies to watch for Valentine's Day as Always well. Always good to watch a movie while being the little spoon. Or the big spoon. That works too. Wow. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm the big spoon Dave Brooks. My wife is little compared to me. She's the little spoon. Otherwise, she wouldn't be able to see the movie. She'd choke on my hair. We will see you at the movies. <laughs>